When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Which Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Hannah McGregor. And I'm Marcel Cosman. And as is customary, we shall begin this episode with the sorting chat. Hannah, I'm sorry. You know I hate to break the fourth wall, but that is as not a very interesting or exciting introduction to this segment. Yeah, I know, that's true, but have you considered as a counterpoint that I am extremely tired? I had not considered that. Okay. Well, I tell you what, how's about we lean into some low-key energy and talk about some of our favorite ways to rest and relax? Oh, Marcel, this is the energy that I need in my life (laughs) so badly right now. I just came off a pretty bad back injury that I am definitely actively recovering from, definitely feeling a lot better, but I did spend about 48 hours just horizontal, just lying down on a heating pad, Mm -hmm. just kind of like on muscle relaxant. So like in that in-between space between (laughs) sleep and waking. Yes, yes. Just doing my absolute favorite, like my top no thoughts, only vibes activity Mm -hmm. is listening to a podcast I've already listened to Mm -hmm. while playing best Fiends, a game I find so addictive that I have to delete it off my phone unless the only plan I have is to play it for 12 hours. Wow. Wow. Yeah. These little free iPhone games are very bad for my brain. Mm-hmm. Like my brain is mm-hmm. just like, yes, this more forever. Now this, do it. Do it again. Now keep doing it. Don't stop. Don't stop. You don't need to eat. Stop. No, more game. Um, and so I have to be very selective. But this was a perfect 
environment in which to, you know, fight some slugs. That's what you do in Best Fiends. You fight slugs. That sounds wonderful. I only wish for you that you had been required to do that for non-pain-related reasons, you know? Yeah, I hear you. And mm-hmm. also, often injury or sickness is the only thing that can actually convince me to take a break. hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm talking about it with my therapist. Good. I'm proud of you. We're working on it. What about you, Marcel? <laughs> Well, I... You have a thousand children, so it must be hard to find time. Sometimes it is. Um, I also, like, I just love being in bed so much. Mm. I just love it. It's just... It's so good. It's so comfortable in here. I know. It's I'm truly... recording from bed. Oh, I'm jealous. It's truly my favorite place to be, but I have learned over the last year or so that when I spend a significant amount of time sitting in bed... I fuck up my lower back real bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not, beds are not chairs, I guess, technically. Technically, beds are not chairs. Technically. I'm sorry. We watched Cats over the weekend, and so now my brain is sort of on a, a, you know, a cat is not a dog is kind of the level of sophistication I'm currently capable of. And say a cat is not a dog. Cat is not a dog. A bed is not a chair. So I'm having I'm having to like find other relaxing ways to be that don't involve mm, sitting bathtub? in bed. Uh, they generally, they need to not involve long periods of sitting in a, in a thing that is not designed to support my body. (laughs) Sex swing. Sex swing? Yeah, but just for you. You have seen our house. Where do you think we would put a sex swing? Outside? (laughs) Outside. In a tree. Outside. Outside in a tree. Maybe just swing. Maybe, do you think we could get adult, what are those those bouncy things called that you like put a baby Yoga in balls. and they bounce? They oh, bounce up and jolly down. Jolly jumpers. Jolly jumpers. I should know about this. I literally talk about jolly jumpers in my book, absurdly. Amazing. Can we get adult jolly jumpers? I feel like that would be really good for spine. Yeah, maybe. I'm not convinced by my own argument. I, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so you have to find a way to relax upright. Yeah. I should probably start doing yoga again. But the thing that I really like doing, the thing that is like my favorite, my favorite no responsibilities kind of treat is I just really love going to see a movie and getting a big bag of popcorn. That's what I love. Oh, Marcel, I want to go see a movie so bad. I know, me too. Me too. I want to see the new Jurassic World movie. That's my new favorite way to rest and relax is specifically going to see the new Jurassic World movie. And I'm going to go alone because it's very important to me to have the power 
to laugh as loudly as I want at all of the scenes where people get eaten by dinosaurs. (laughs) Well, that sounds to me like the perfect place to move to our next segment. Yes, correct. This is the segment where we talk about Hermione Granger. It's called Granger Danger. Marcel, tell me about some of the things you noticed. Okay. Well, I would say the the main thing that I was thinking about on this reread is the way that Hermione functions largely as a plot device. Like she... I feel like in this book, more often than not, she plays the role of moving the plot forward Mm. um, or conveying information rather than, like, really being a character who helps solve the mystery, I guess. That's so true. She she doesn't—she's not, like, an actually central part of almost anything that happens. No. She's just always there to, like— provide information or to chastise oh that's so interesting yeah yeah so like we can think about how Ginny knows that Hermione made out with Victor Crumb and this information is what sets Ron off on his sexcapade with Lavender Brown and we know (laughs) that Uh, we'll have that capade. teen sex romper stinger right doo-doo, there, coach. Doo-doo. Yeah, right there, coach. <laughs> put, it, put it in there, coach. And then we have Hermione who, like, Hermione's function in potions class is just to be bad at potions. Like, that's it. That's all she just does. Just be worse at potions than, <laughs> than Harry. Harry. Yeah. And mad at Harry for using the Half-Blood Princess book. Yeah. She gets upset at Harry for giving Ron Felix Felicis ahead of the Quidditch match, which turns out that Harry does it on purpose so that Hermione will think that yeah. he did, which is like yeah. real shitty move, Harry. That's That was not chill. Like he could have let her in on the, anyway, whatever. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I think the thing that like really stings, the one that I'm still, I'm just mad about, Mm-hmm. is the fact that Hermione cannot help herself. She has to say, I told you so, about who Eileen Prince is or about who the Half-Blood Prince is. Even though... She was wrong. She was wrong. She spends the whole book being like, it could be a girl. And Harry's like, it's not. I can tell. And then at the end, when after we know that it was Snape, she's like, it's just that I was kind of right. Because Eileen Prince was Snape's mom. I was like, what the fuck, Hermione? This is neither the time nor the place to say I told you so to your best friend who just watched his mentor get murdered. (laughs) It's absolutely wild. It's absolutely (laughs) wild. But you're right. She is is particularly Mm two-dimensional in this book. Because she is just in a lot of ways sort of going through a set of like, now it's time for the Hermione reaction. Yeah. And she's going to nag you or she's going to be mad at you or she's going to tell you to follow the rules or she's going to like, she just does that over and over again. Like she's, she's really 
you know, shrill. But like not in a fun way. Not in a fun way, no. Um, <laughs> but this sort of vibes in an interesting way with what really struck me in my read through, mm-hmm. which is how many little glimpses we get of the richness of Hermione's life beyond mm-hmm. what Harry sees. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this really interesting, like I think what those two observations lead to is again that reminder of like, insofar as these characters exist beyond the narrative limitations of Harry's perspective, mm-hmm. there's lots of stuff happening off screen, so to speak. And the one that really sort of jumped out to me is when uh, Harry and Ginny are talking and Ginny says that Hermione told her mm. to like just try dating other people so that she could be more herself around Harry and like stop being so freaked out whenever she was mm-hmm. around him. And I was just like, oh, yeah, the two of them have a whole friendship, an entire relationship that we never see because <laughs> by definition, it yeah. doesn't happen in that way in front of Harry. That's right. Yeah. I can't remember what book this happens in, but like the little glimpses we get of that throughout the series, you know, like Ginny curled up at the end of Hermione's bed like a cat. And you're just like, wait, we're going to just blow past that? <laughs> Normal At no point stuff. is Harry going to be like, you guys are close. What's up with this? <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, Harry's a teenage boy. So he's like, who knows what girls do? Be friends, play cats together. Nobody knows. It's impossible. It's impossible to tell. Yeah, that's the theme of this book, right? So, oh, wait, no, sorry, 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 no. That's the theme of book four. I'm confusing the two because I was reading book four with Elliot recently And so much of that book is Harry being like, why do girls travel in packs? Why are they always giggling? Why do girls do this? It's really funny because book four is the one where that's like said overtly, but it's still (laughs) very much the case in this one. There's this like, what do girls do and why? Is that, you know, like the scene where Hermione, you know, conjures those birds and then makes them attack Ron, which is iconic like the fact that in a in in the depths of her anger she does magic that is more sophisticated than what her classmates can possibly pull off that she's just casually conjuring things just Mm -hmm. out of anger um is is really beautiful to me but like you know that is presented as this kind of mysterious activity like what could Hermione possibly be so mad about. I do think sometimes that, like, these books are on occasion a little clumsily written. And I think sometimes in the in the attempt to make the reader, like, moments like that, right? Where it's like, Hermione is angry, Harry doesn't know why. That is a scene of dramatic irony, where we, the reader, are supposed to understand something that the characters do not understand. Right? That we are like meant to be like, Harry, you goof. Obviously, Hermione's <laughs> in love with Ron. And Harry just does. Like, we're supposed, I think we're supposed to see that. Mm-hmm. Much like we're supposed to see that Ginny has had a crush on Harry this whole time. Right. Even though Harry has no clue. It's just the problem. We only get her through his lens. And so it's always these like such profoundly limited views, really, of any of the women in the series. Because they're always, all of these women are presented through the view of a teenage boy. I know. I know. A very, very silly teenage boy. 
What do we think about the fact that Hermione uses the Confundus charm to ding around Cormac McLagan's brain parts <laughs> during ah! the during the Quidditch tryouts so that Ron can be the keeper? What do we think about that? I love one of my favorite sort of Hermione through lines in the series is um, the gradual process of Hermione becoming ungovernable. Mm. That she, like, starts off so attached to following rules. And by the end of the book, she's like, oh, actually, fuck the, fuck the power. <laughs> fight the power. <laughs> fuck yeah. the police. Fight the power. Fuck the police. That's, that's Hermione by the end of this series. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, we should all also strive to become ungovernable. I agree. Perfect. And now it is time for the segment where Hannah talks about fashion, and the name of this segment is Luke Beak. <laughs> Thank you, Marcel, for that extremely accurate introduction. You're welcome. Today, I want to talk about purple velvet. <gasps> yes. Yeah. So tell me, when I say the words purple velvet... What are the associations that come to mind? Oscar Wilde. Amazing. John, John Waters. Uh-huh. Ex like, extremely famous dandies. Absolutely. Luxurious, but in a kind of, like, luxurious in a very deliberately flashy way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Maybe even camp. Like, purple velvet feels a little campy. Let's have a kiki. I want to have a kiki. Lock the doors. Right. Let's have a kiki. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, yeah. So purple velvet, some shade of purple velvet actually appears twice in this <gasps> book. And the people who wear it are Dumbledore and Slughorn. Of course, it's Slughorn. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now he's wearing maroon velvet. And I think, you know, we could have a fight over whether maroon is a shade of purple or not. Or red. That, is that the fight? It's a purpley red. I think by definition, that's what maroon is, like a purpley brownie red. Yeah. But I think in terms of the sort of sartorial history that I'm going to sketch, I think it <laughs> could be considered to be purple. And then Dumbledore's is a flamboyantly cut suit of plum velvet. Plum's definitely a shade of purple. We can all agree. I think, no, I think you're totally on onto, onto something here. I think plum and maroon are in the same family of, like, shades of purple that are not violet. Like, they're not yes. blue purples. They're red yes. purples. They are red purples, but purples, they remain. Yes. <laughs> so, velvet plays a really interesting role in the, what I've... <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I hate past me. Velvet plays this really interesting role in the, like sartorial vocabulary of the wizarding world. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, I love when you write scripts. Yeah, so it's a really common fabric for furnishings and curtains. Like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of velvet curtains. People are constantly pulling back velvet curtains. Constantly. But when Same. somebody is... <laughs> yeah, me no, too. Just because my, it's one of my favorite <laughs> hobbies. But when someone actually wears velvet, it's noteworthy. And it's like always specifically noted and it's in really sort of unique circumstances. 
In fact, from what I can tell, the only other reference to purple velvet in particular in the series is Ron's dress robes. <gasps> the also ones that maroon, he hates so right? much. Yeah, which are also maroon. Oh my God. That are so, so it's so interesting that maroon velvet is the thing that gives him like gender panic. And then maroon velvet is the thing that Slughorn is wearing in the first scene where we meet him, where mm-hmm. he is in this room that Harry is like, this seems like the room of a woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's some interesting gendered dimensions, obviously. Mm-hmm. But gender is not quite the, the locus I want to talk about when it comes to the history of velvet and the history of purple and the history of purple velvet. Okay. So mini history of velvet first. This comes from uh, a history of Renaissance velvet textiles by Melinda Watt, who explains that velvet was a super luxurious, expensive fabric that was woven from silk. You weave it in this way, you use really fine silk threads, and you weave it in this way where you create a whole bunch of little loops sort of sticking out from the top of the fabric, and then you shear off the top edge, and then what you've got is this you know, very... Okay, here, let me actually... I'm just going to read how she describes it. So she says, the term velvet describes fabric with a pile, so that, you know, like a pile, like a carpet has a pile, like a... Mm -hmm. Like high pile carpet is really shaggy and low pile carpet is really flat. Yes. Made of silk thread. The structure of this fabric is created by warps that are drawn up over rods or wires to make the loops. This is part of the weaving process, and the looped pile is integral to the structure of the fabric. As the weaving progresses, the rods are removed. The resulting loops may be cut to form dense pile or left uncut. As well as being very time-consuming, this technique requires a larger quantity of thread in the warp than flat textiles. Right? Because you're not weaving flat, you're weaving up. That's right. And And it's made of silk. silk. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So velvet, you know, the luxuriousness of velvet has a lot to do with with resources. You know, that's a lot of silk and with the expert labor that it required to actually make it. I I have never appreciated how, how luxurious velvet is until this moment right now. And, you know, most of the velvet that we would have access, that you and I would have access to, would be machine-made velvet made out of synthetic fibers. Mm -hmm. So that velvet is much, much cheaper because it's been automated and it's made out of cheap, synthetically produced fibers. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, original velvet, incredibly hard to make. Yeah. So in addition to that, Renaissance velvet was very unlikely to be purple because if anything was harder to make than velvet, it was purple dye. Get out of here. Oh my God. Tell me why. So prior to the mid-19th century, when somebody came up with a like a new synthetic purple dye, the only way to dye fabric purple was by harvesting the mucus of a kind of snail that only lives in Lebanon. What the hell? <laughs> Absolutely incredible. So according to Evan Andrews uh, writing for a a piece for history.com. I know, I'm a professional researcher. Listen, you know what? As long as you're citing your sources, you're doing your research. Um, so they write, quote, It took as many as 250,000 mollusks to yield just one ounce of usable no. dye. No. And a pound of purple wool cost more than most people earned in a year. That is... 
so many snails for so, so little snails. dye. It's so many snails. So we've got this incredibly rare dye that very quickly comes to signify power and wealth uh-huh. and gradually comes to be a, a signal of royalty. So yeah. So in the Elizabethan era, there were these things called sumptuary laws that were about regulating consumption, basically, in order to legally enforce the differences between the aristocracy and the commoners. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, they didn't want wealthy merchants to be able to dress up like they were aristocrats. Gotcha. So there were these things that you weren't allowed to wear if you weren't, you know, a member of the aristocracy. Or in, in the case of purple, I think you actually had to be, like, a member of the royal family. It was illegal for anybody else to wear purple. That is so wild. I, like... Probably most people couldn't afford it anyway, but the fact that they put it into law is... Yeah. It's not that surprising that purple has come to be associated both with royalty on the one side, but also with rebellion on the other. Because, right, so like purple is a really prominent color, like, you know, it was used by uh, the suffragists. It was used, it was, like, really popular in the 60s and 70s as a sign of counterculture. You know, Jimi Hendrix wore a lot of purple. Prince wore a lot of purple. Like, it's Mm -hmm. associated with counterculture. Because insisting on the right to wear purple is like a fuck you to authority. Wow. I love it so much. And you know what else was banned by Elizabethan sumptuary laws? Oh my God, what? Velvet? Velvet. Was it velvet? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously, you know, the significance of purple velvet, it's no longer illegal for you to wear it if you're not a member of the royal family. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. But... Those dual associations of wealth and power on the one hand and the defiant refusal of hierarchies on the other hand, I think Mm -hmm. still remains, right? So purple velvet both feels like a thing that you wear when you are dressing up like a king, but also a thing that you wear when you are like defiantly, you know, using fashion as a way to like defiantly declare yourself as being against the norm. That's right. Yeah. And that, I think, that duality is really captured by the fact that Slughorn and Dumbledore are both pictured as wearing this fabric. That's right. Because Slughorn loves power and Dumbledore has absolutely zero respect for for hierarchies like the Ministry yeah. <laughs> of Magic. Wow. Isn't that a fun history? That is so fun. You know, things like this come up every now and again. And, like, by every now and again, I guess I mean literally every time we do Luke Book. (laughs) And it gets me thinking, like, wow, did Rowling know this? Or is it just such a, such a, uh, like, such a, such an unconscious part of our culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is an unconscious part of our culture. I think, you know, in the sense that signs in the structuralist sense Mm -hmm. gain this whole set of 
meanings that sort of attach around them that are like densely culturally specific. And we use those signs to allude to those larger cultural meanings, often without awareness of how they accrue to those cultural meanings in the first place. Yeah. Which is part of why it's so hard to read historical texts accurately, because we often have no sense of the sort of cultural meanings attached around particular signs. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, like, the relationship of purple velvet to power and refusal of hierarchies, similar to the function of the goblins as the moneylenders of the wizarding world. Similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Amazing. That's been Lookbook. Look, look. Thanks, Hannah. Wow. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It is time for the next segment, Orchidius. This is the one where we each note something that we noticed and were delighted by in this read-through. And Marcel, I want you to go first. I think that often when we do Orchidius, I'm kind of struggling to think of things that I've noticed for the first time or things that like delighted me that I haven't talked about before because I've read the book so many times. But I actually have... I think a real good one for the <laughs> for this segment and I will say that on this read through I feel like the book is a lot more sentimental than I ever noticed before like there are a lot of ends to things right so some examples not only has Aragog died but now because Aragog is dead you can't go into the forest anymore The Forbidden Forest is truly forbidden now. And it's full of all of these, like, the things that are in the Forbidden Forest that now they can never visit again are a lot of signifiers of their early adventures. That's right. Like the feral car. Yeah. Like, you can never go back. No. Quite literally. Hagrid's hut gets burned to the ground. And, you know, like you were saying, Hannah, Hagrid's hut is this, it has been this... Safe haven. It's been a safe haven. This this place of like regrouping, figuring out what they're going to do next. Harry got to be he finally got to be Quidditch captain, but he didn't even get to play the last game. Like that's it, you know, cuz he like tried to murder Draco. And I also realized that Harry gets really sentimental about Neville and Luna, like even from the beginning of the book he like feels very tenderly about them. Because they're the only two who came to the ministry. And then they're the only two who show up at the end when Hermione calls the DA for help. Which Harry thinks is because they're so lonely that they've just been watching their coins more. Yeah. I think they're just very loyal. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, this book is in so many ways the like childhood is over. You are past the point of no return. Like, things are happening that you can never go back to. 
and and they will not be able to return to this version of Hogwarts that existed previously for them. Um, and all of these, you know, like Dumbledore's death being yeah. the, the big one, but there's so many other moments like this that even though we don't really know yet mm-hmm. by the end of this book that our main three heroes are not returning to Hogwarts, like mm-hmm. everything points in that direction that like they are not coming back. This period of their lives is over. And the 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 piece that I pulled out is thematically very, very similar, mm-hmm. which is that I was really struck on this read through by this. There's this moment right after Harry and Ginny have gotten together and just before the day when Harry and Dumbledore go to the cave and then Hogwarts is attacked. It's like they get this tiny sliver of time where they just get to be together. And there's this scene where the four of them are all hanging out in the Gryffindor common room. And Ginny makes this joke about like what kind of tattoo <laughs> Harry has on him. The and on yeah, chest. the hip, hippogriff <laughs> tattoo. And she's like, no, I said it was like a Hungarian horntail because that's more <laughs> hardcore. And it's just this moment where you get to see the four of them being kids together. And it just made me feel so heartsick for them all. Mm. Just like these are these are just kids, and they are being forced into adulthood so rapidly. And the way that he gets, you know, this little moment, and then almost immediately is like, "Nope, I can't do this. Like, I can't have the things that other kids can have because my life is too dangerous for that." And, like, I kind of, that's a narrative device that I often find deeply frustrating. I Mm -hmm. think the first time I ever noticed it was as a child watching uh, The the Adventures of Lois and Clark. Ooh, I watched that. Remember the series with Terry Hatcher and Dean Terry Hatcher. (laughs) Yep, yep. And there's a scene where he breaks up with her because it's too dangerous mm-hmm. for her to be with him. Mm-hmm. I just remember being like, that's stupid. <laughs> I don't like that. But in this <laughs> case, I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. You know, like on the one hand, so I agree. I think that it would be unsustainable to be in a relationship with somebody who has to go and personally murder the most powerful evil wizard who's ever lived. <laughs> like that just, it feels like it would be hard. <laughs> he won't have enough time to like, you know, support her in the way that a partner should be able to support her. <laughs> and you're very, she's very likely to be murdered as a direct result of affiliation with him. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not like the Weasleys were secretly close to Harry. Everybody knows that the Weasleys are very close to Harry. Like, and what do they think that, like, Percy is going to be closer to Harry than any of the others? Probably not. Like, she's already in danger. And so I think I just, like, so I agree that they can't make the relationship work in this horrible context. But I also, I also wish that the rationale was more like, I don't want us to try long distance right now and I'm going to be on a quest. I'm not ready for a long distance relationship when communication will be spotty. (laughs) 
I also wonder if he's lying to her because he's pretty sure that he's going to go die. That's true. Oh, that's very true. Anyway, it's a real end of childhood, end of innocence, you can never go back kind of book. And that's probably why all of our episodes about it have been so cheerful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you could almost say that this book is devastating. Ooh, what a fun transition. Mm. I call this segment Devastating Fun Facts. And what I do in it is I share some fun facts about Hogwarts students and staff not mentioned in the books because these things were not part of Harry's journey. And then I make you cry. Mm, me specifically. That's right. Let's get into it. <laughs> you asshole. Fun fact. When Harry gets back to number four Privet Drive after Dumbledore's funeral, he begins sorting through all his things so that, you know, he can keep and take with him only the essentials. During this process... Harry finds his old school photo from his second year at Hogwarts. Remember when Lockhart had like started out, had started up the school pictures and Harry had one that he wanted to give to Mrs. Fig, but then he didn't know how to give it to Mrs. Fig because he didn't know how to explain that it was moving. Anyway, he knows that she's a squib now. Anyway, so he decides to sneak it into her mailbox late at night with a little note, but he accidentally knocks over her mailbox. He knocks it off the hinges and Arabella Fig comes to the door to see what's happening. She sees Harry and she invites him in for a late night cup of tea and a piece of very stale cake. And the two sit together for a while and Harry thanks her for always looking out for him, and he hands her his school picture. And Mrs. Fig stares at it, and she's speechless, and Harry explains why he didn't give it to her all those years ago, and then how he had forgotten about it until he found it earlier that evening. And then Mrs. Fig takes Harry's picture over to her fridge, and she pins it in place with a cat-shaped magnet. And then the two share a really long and wordless hug, and that hug says everything. You okay, Hannah? I hate this segment. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Fun fact. This is a poem that Hagrid wrote for his now deceased old friend Aragog. Long years make young old fighters, whether child or king of spiders. And the time has come, I find you, have left me on me own. Rest, old friend, your trials are over. Lay your burdens from your shoulders. For though the night's a little colder, I know I'm not alone. We good? Good? I've got more. Sorry, there's more. Did I mention I hate this segment? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Fun fact. Mm. Understandably, young Tom Riddle left most of his personal belongings behind at the orphanage when he came of age. He felt no sentimental attachment to anything associated with the place, including this small box of papers that his mother had left behind with him. And these papers included like a a tattered old map of London and a few ticket stubs, nothing that had any obvious value. But the box also contained a list of items that it appears um, Merope had been trying to gather in time for her baby's arrival. And so the list has things on it like marriage license, nappies, photo, blankie, and soft toy. 
And it's not clear whether Merope managed to acquire everything or anything on the list before her baby was born. But among the personal effects that Tom left behind at the orphanage was a very simple threadbare pale yellow blanket. Just one. Fun fact. <sighs> this one's really fun. <laughs> okay. Woo! Horace Slughorn has a basset hound named Felicity. She's a very <laughs> sweet old dog, and she spends most of her days sleeping. She loves to be close to Slughorn, so he keeps a dog bed under his desk and a very wide stepladder next to his bed so that she can get up and down easily. Do you want to know why her name is Felicity? <laughs> yeah. Because Slughorn found her the first time he took Felix Felicis, and even though the whole day was objectively perfect, it felt to him that it was specifically Felicity's companionship that made the day so good. You know, the thing about Felicity is she gives no indication that she's a magical dog at all. And we've established canonically that there are no magic dogs, but she is 32 years old. So <laughs> she may be magical, right? Like she may be more magical than she appears at least. Or, you know, he's devised some clever potions to extend the life of a dog because he loves her so much. His companion. Fun fact, Bill's favorite color is purple. What? Fun fact, Fleur's favorite color is periwinkle, which Bill insists is purple, even though it's not. They bicker about it. It's very cute. <laughs> okay, last, last fun fact. Okay. Fun fact, for the duration of Draco's imperious curse over Madame Rosmerda, Visitors to the Three Broomsticks complained of various imperfections in her otherwise exceptional drinks. The draft butterbeer was a little bit flat, the fire whiskey was more like humid whiskey, and the gilly water was a touch salty. And now, a little fan service to all of our listeners with toddlers in their lives, I present to you Creature Report. <laughs> Coach! Activate Creature Report. Creature Report. Creature Report. Creature Report. Inheritance is such a farce. Check, check, check. That Harry sends him to Hogwarts. Check, check. And forbidden to make a sound. Creature Report. Creature Report. He'll follow Draco all around. Creature Report. Creature Report. Well, Dobby shall be by his side. Check. Check, check. Because Harry can't forget that one time creature lied. Dance break. Go house elf. Go house elf. Go house elf. Creature report. Creature report. Creature report. We're done with the fun facts. Which please at ease until the next book wrap up. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I'm so grateful that you started ending this segment with creature report because <laughs> it really helps to counteract the weeping. I say fan service, but what I really mean is Hannah service. Thank you. Thank you. Marcella, your skill for writing Hagrid poems. <laughs> like, it's just remarkable. Who knew, right? Who knew? Wow. You know why? It's I think it's because I love a I love a form. Give me a form. I'll play with it. It'll be fun. Thank you, witches, for joining us for another episode of Witch Please. 
Which Please is produced in partnership with Wilfrid Laurier University Press and distributed by ACAST. You can find the rest of our episodes on our beautiful coach-designed website, ohwitchplease.ca. Special thanks, as always, to our team player of a producer, Hannah Rehack, a.k.a. Coach. Thanks, Coach. If you want to hang out with us some more, we're on Twitter and Instagram at ohwitchplease. With a ton of hot new content, thanks to our Witch Please apprentice, Zoe Mix. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, Zoe. We also want to give a special shout out to our audio engineer, Erica Huang, who has been mixing our show since the reboot. Erica is moving on from Witch Please to continue their work on other shows and in other audio ventures, so we thought we'd take a moment to say, Thank you, Erica! Thank you, Erica! You made us sound so great for six seasons, and we appreciate you so much. And we also appreciate everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thanks to you, we've now got seasons five and six of the reboot fully transcribed. I mean, thanks to you and Zoe who's doing the actual work. Thanks, Zoe. But you're funding it. So thank you also. And the rest is in progress. If you're not already a Patreon supporter, there's honestly never been a better time to jump in. We are constantly adding new bonuses. For Mm -hmm. example, we now have bloopers, Mm -hmm. comics based on those bloopers, (laughs) and also Marcel names your pets. Which is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And exactly as good as it sounds. And we've got more exclusive live events in the future. Mm -hmm. TBA. If you want to learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash ohwitchplease. If you're not able to contribute financially, but you still want to lend us a hand, we would absolutely love it if you dropped us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the end of every episode, we'll shout out everyone who left us a five-star review. So you've got to review us if you want to hear me spinning out waiting for you to pull me in. Thank you too. Save me some corn for later. Wow, that was that was a tough one to read. Creel Corazon, washing machine heart. Yeah, it's a Mitski lyric. I'll send I'll send you this. I'll send I'll send you the song. Okay, I want it. I want it. Katie A 2K14, Horror Cinephile, Everett H. Violet Wish. Wow, there's a lot of purple in this episode, mm, just mm, coincidentally. Mm. And dot dot at dot at dot. I think that reads dot 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 at dot dot at dot. Dot 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 at dot dot at dot. <laughs> I know for a fact that this person devised that username specifically for the pleasure of hearing you say it because they also tweeted at us to make sure. Dot, 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 at, dot, dot, at, dot. (laughs) Incredible. You genius. We are going to take a couple of weeks off our regular content to give us some time to read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, because these books is long. So long. But fear not, we will be dropping some very special bonus content into the feed in the meanwhile. But until then, 
Later, witches! <laughs>